you start testifying of his goodness or someone else tells you what God did and you, you don't really have any other response other than just he did what? Let me tell you something. God is a great big God. And he is able to do things in our lives that are far beyond what we can ask or think. And there's this old song that we used to sing years ago that simply says, my God can do anything. How many of you believe that's true today? Over the next few weeks as we talk about some of the miracles of God, I want us to keep this thought in mind, my God can do anything. And if you know this old chorus, I just want to invite you to sing it with me. Again, you don't have to stand up, but I just want us to sing it as a statement of affirmation that God can do anything, right? My God can do anything, anything, anything. My God can do anything. How many of you remember it? It's coming back. He made this earth with all its fullness and all that time shall bring my God can do anything pick it up a little bit and sing it with me my God can do anything anything My God can do anything. He made this earth with all its fullness, and all that time shall bring. My God can. Father, we acknowledge the fact today that you can do anything. You are a God of miracles. Lord, the ministry that you performed on the face of this earth during the time that you were here was nothing short of miraculous in every way. So we acknowledge the fact today that you are able to do anything that we need to be done. Today, as we focus our attention upon the miracles that you performed, I pray that you'll help us to see the purpose behind them. To see more than just the resolution of a problem, but, but to see the revelation of the provider. Because God, you are the one who does everything that needs to be done in our lives. So as we turn our attention to your word today, I, I pray that you will allow your anointing to be upon me as I speak. That I'll be able to represent your word properly and that this congregation will hear beyond the words of their human ears and in the spirit that they will connect with what you have in store for them and their lives. We ask it in Jesus' lovely name. Amen and amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, expect the best at all times. Amen. Expect the best. Thank you, Miss Donna, for playing that song for me today. As I've already said, I want to cover this idea over the next five weeks of this question. He did what? 
How did God do that? Isn't it amazing that God is able to do the things that God does? And over the course of this time, I want us to understand that miracles resolve problems, but they also reveal the provider. Every miracle that ever takes place in your life serves two purposes. One is to resolve whatever problem that you're dealing with, but also to give you a fresh revelation of the provision of God in your life. God will never do anything in your life, but he doesn't also point back to his ability to do anything that you ask him to do. So we're going to talk about this. Now today I want you to turn to John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. This is a very familiar passage of scripture. It is the first recorded miracle that was done in the ministry of Jesus Christ. It's found in the gospel of John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. It says, on the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. And when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to them, said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? For my hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water that has now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the, the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee. And manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. Now by way of introduction, let's, let's do a little historical work here. 35 of the miracles that were performed by our Lord during his public ministry are recorded in the four gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So as you're reading through those Gospels, you will see uh, a written expression of 35 of his miracles there. They've been recorded for us. The miracles were and continue to be a revelation of the Lord himself, and they show who he is and how he works in our lives. John tells us that in this miracle at Cana, that the Lord in verse 11, he revealed his glory. Now in some uh, manuscripts, it says he manifested. Uh, the bottom line is that his glory became evident. Don't you love it when God's glory becomes evident in your life and in your mind? When you see God for who he really is and when you see him for what he is able to do. So if the purpose here is not only to meet the need 
and to also bring revelation and to reveal his glory, then we need to understand how his glory is revealed. Let me make three statements very quickly about this glory. Number one, the glory of Christ did not begin at Cana in the doing of this miracle. This was not the first time that the glory of Jesus Christ was seen or would be seen. It's not the first time that Jesus possessed glory. In fact, we know from Scripture that from the very foundations of the earth, Jesus Christ possessed this glory that we are talking about. And in order to come into this fleshly body, we understand that he had to lay down his divinity in order to pick up the flesh. But he did not lose his glory. He maintained it. So this is not the institution of a new power or a new glory or a new authority. But it was simply the first expression that was seen on the earth. The second thing I want to say about this glory is that the glory which the Lord revealed at Cana has been given to those who believe in him and are redeemed by his blood. So I want you to notice today that you possess the glory of God in your life, in your spirit. You're not just some ordinary human being. If you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and His Spirit is within you, you have the ability and the potential to live every day of your life in the glory of Jesus Christ because he pos you possess it in your life because of Him. You say, I don't know if that's true or not. Well, look at John chapter 17, verses 20 through 23. It says, I, I do not ask for these only but also for those who will believe me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And notice this, verse 22. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, so that they may be one even as we are. I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. What he's saying is, is that the body of Christ is unified around the glory and the anointing of God. I don't care how young you are, how old you are. I don't care what the color of your skin is. I don't care what your nationality is. It doesn't matter whether you're male or female. If you are in Christ, you possess the power and the glory of God uh, through him. Amen. So you possess his glory. So what do we do with this glory? Do, do we just let it make us shiver? Do we just, just do we stand around in a corner and get a glory fit and do a few shouts and a few jerks and raise our hands up and, and, and in a way every now and then? No, he has given us his glory so that as we live out our Christian lives in the victory that he has given to us, it will transform the world around us as we testify of his glory. So you're not just a glory holder, you are a glory giver, amen. Wherever you go, the glory of God ought to be seen in you. So this morning, I have to move quickly, but I want to share seven ways that his glory is revealed in Scripture in this passage. And the first is this, his glory is revealed in his humility. 
Now, notice where this miracle is performed. It, it is performed in Cana. It was a small village many miles away from any large community or large city. The, the media was not there. Fox News wasn't there. CNN wasn't there. ESPN wasn't there to cover any of, of the athletics that might be seen. None of the news medias were there. Nothing that would raise him in the eyes of the, the world. It was in an out-of-the-way place, and Jesus accepted the invitation to come to this place. It was a good way away. He didn't perform his first miracle in in front of the masses but it was humbly done in in a in in a crowd that was few and far away philippians chapter 2 verse 5 through 11 says have this mind among yourself which is yours in christ jesus who though he was in the form of god did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In Matthew chapter 20, verses 24 through 28, we see this. It says, and when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, the body of Christ. But whosoever shall be great among you must be a servant of all. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to, be, to, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. As I was at the General Assembly, I was listening to several big name preachers that were there to encourage the pastors and, and to bring a message from the Lord. Guys like Dr. Tony Evans and, and Jensen Franklin and others that I could mention. And I mean, big name guys that anywhere just about in the church world, you mention their name and they would know who they were. But when it came time for them to preach, I remember thinking, I wonder which green room they're in. I wonder where they are. Somebody's got to go get them and drag them out and tell them it's their time. And, and when it came time and they introduced them, I was shocked to discover that they'd been sitting on the roll with everybody else just like, just like the congregation. They weren't hidden away. They didn't have bodyguards all around them. They weren't concerned about their safety. They weren't concerned about who knew them. They didn't care if their name was spelled right or wrong. They only cared about being there to proclaim the message that God had laid upon their heart. And let me tell you today, God is not impressed with all of the theatrics of church services and the church world today. He came in a lowly manger many years ago as a nobody in a nowhere place so that he could save the world. 
We've got to learn this. Dr. Mark Rutland at the General Assembly said, if you are too big for the few, you are too small for the many. I like that. If you're too big for the few, you are too small for the many. So first of all, his glory was revealed in his humility. Secondly, his glory was revealed in his realness. Don't you just, I, I don't want to say that you hate them, but, but don't plastic people just frustrate the life out of you? You know what I'm talking about? People that aren't real. People that, that you know, they just melt away when anything difficult comes. I mean, just plastic people. I don't know about you, but I, I want to be real. I, I just want to be down to earth. I, I just want to be who God called me to be. You know, there's so many preachers in this world that they want to be like this one and they want to preach like that one and they want to have a church like this individual and in a city like that city and all that kind of thing. But listen, I just want to be who God has called me to be. Whatever that looks like, whatever that feels like, whatever that sounds like, whatever that is, God just called me to be me. And whoever he has called me to be, that is what I will give account to one of these days. I like real people. I like the fact that he accepted the invitation. I remember years ago when I was working in the state executive offices in Illinois, one of my job descriptions was to raise money to help plant churches around the state of Illinois. And, and I would go into local churches and share with them about the plan and what we were trying to do. And I'd give people the opportunity to give into and sow seed into that ministry. I remember a pastor called me one day and he said, hey, would you be willing to come to my church and preach and, and, and present that, that opportunity to my people? And I already knew that his church was very small. I knew that it was a, like a four-hour drive one way. And honestly, in my mind, I'm thinking, I don't want to drive up there four hours and four hours back, and there's just going to be a handful of people. And I, I fought with that, and, 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 and finally I said, you know, if you invite I'll come. I was reminded that I'd told them there's no church too big, no church too small, no church too far out of the way. If you invite me, I'll come. And so I told the pastor, I'll be there. And I got in my car. My wife stayed home with the kids because they'd heard my, me present that program plenty of times and they didn't want to hear it one more time. And I drove four hours up there to this little church and when I drove up, there wasn't anyone there but the pastor. And, and I'm a little frustrated because, you know, there's nobody here but the pastor. I could have presented this over the phone to him. But just a few minutes later, in came this little lady. And she's walking in the back of the church. She's got a walker. And she comes down as close as she can get. She wasn't even close to the front of the church. She was toward the back. And he looked over at me and he said, we're ready to start. And I thought, well, praise God. And now I was at this place where am I going to give her the whole load? Or am I going to give her the Cliff's Notes version? You know what I'm saying? Summarize this thing and get back home as soon as I can. And I just felt led of the Lord to give her the whole load. And I felt the Spirit say, preach to her just like this church was filled. Because she needs to hear what it is that you've got to say. And I preached and we prayed and we hugged and we, uh, you know, we, we did the, what I'd gone there to do. All except I did not give her an opportunity to give. 
Because I thought, I don't want this little lady to feel the pressure of me inviting her to do something that she's the only one here. And I did not give her the opportunity to give. But as I was walking out of the church, she said, you know, she said, you never did ask me if I'd like to participate in this process. And she said, I would like to know how to go about doing that. And I gave her the card and she signed it and she gave it to me. And as long as I was in Illinois, every month, that little lady signed a check and sent it into the state office for the purpose of planting churches around the state. And if I had not been willing to take that little appointment and go up there and preach a little sermon and expect little results, uh, you know, if if I'd gone up with that mindset, God would not have been able to do what God wanted to do. I'm just telling you today, if God is telling you to do something, if God is telling you to take a step of faith, if God is saying to you, I'm about to do something in your life that you can't even think or imagine, listen, take that step of faith uh, and be real before him uh, and let him do in you what he desires to do. Thirdly, his glory was revealed in his divine dependency. Now, what do I mean by that? In this miracle, they ran out of wine, and when they did, Mary turned to Jesus and said, they're out of wine. And Jesus said to Mary, woman, and listen, that was a very respectful term. He was not talking down to his mother. He was speaking to her in a way that was very honorable for that day. He said, woman, what does that have to do with me? My time has not yet come. What what was he saying? What he was saying is, and reminding everyone around him is, is that I don't do things based on what people ask me to do. I have come to do the will of the Father. The things that you hear me say and the things that you observe me doing are the things that the Father has instructed me to say and do. So even though this woman is my mother, I don't do what I do or say what I say because my mother has encouraged me to do so. I am doing this because I have heard from the Father. I know what the will of the Father is. Now, I've just come by to tell you today that we're all responsible for following the voice of the Lord. We've got to do what God calls us to do. We've got to take the step of faith that God wants us to take. And as your pastor, I am not called to create an atmosphere that is centered around what you want and what you don't want. Or what you like and what you don't like. Because if that's all I do, then I'm just creating a consumer-oriented church where you get the things that you want. And you have a preacher that is, is giving you the things that your itching ears want to hear. I love every one of you, but listen, you need to get prepared. I'm ready to preach with a new boldness. And I'm ready to preach with an authority that comes from God Almighty. And I'm, I'm ready and willing to say whatever it is that God wants us to say. And if you don't like it, I apologize in advance. I'm not going to be rude. I'm not going to look down my nose at you. I'm not going to treat you disrespectfully. But listen, if I don't say what the Father and the Spirit wants me to say, say, then I'm no good to him and I am no good to you. That's what Jesus was saying. 
John 6 verse 38 says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Number four, his glory was revealed by his unwavering understanding. Has it ever dawned on you that Jesus never made a mistake? He he never looked at a situation and said, I'm not really sure. I I don't really know what to do here. I I don't really know what to say. I'm I'm not sure. But his understanding was unwavering. Now, it's interesting what Mary said. After Jesus had made the statement, I've come to do the will of the Father, then Mary said, Mary said, whatever he tells you to do, you do it. It doesn't matter how crazy it may seem. It doesn't matter how unnatural it seems. It doesn't matter whether it feels right to you or feels wrong to you. She's saying whatever he says, you do it. It's as if she was saying, don't question anything that he says. For if he says it, it will be right. I like that. Listen, can I just be open and honest with you today? Some of you are still struggling with some of the same things you've been struggling with ever since I became your pastor. And it's because you're debating God over Scripture and debating God over what He has said will work in your life. And you're trying to to wrestle with Him and say, well, God, I know that's what your Word says, but that must have been for an Old Testament church. and That must have been for New Testament believers. That can't be for me. This is a new world. This is a new day. This is a new opportunity for us to do church in a new way like it's never been done before. Let me tell you something. If we try to do church in a way that is contrary to the Word of God, we're going to fail every time. But when we as Christians start living according to the Word of God and stop trying to debate Him about what it is that He expects from us, you will have a freedom come into your life unlike any Anything that you've ever experienced before. Stop debating God. Start agreeing with Him and His Word. John 5, verse 30 through 33 says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. This week, as I was preparing and, and doing the final touches on this message, That line just jumped off the page at me. You know, of all people, of all individuals who could know in advance what was going on, you'd think Jesus would know in advance. But he said, he said, as I hear, I judge. As it comes to me, I already know what to do and say about this situation. Can you imagine how awesome it would be, people of God, if we were so full of his knowledge and his understanding and his wisdom and so full of his authority and so full of his power that whenever something comes and gets up in our face that without any, any time passing by that we could just say, I already know what this is. I know this is from you, the, the, the devil. I know this is what you're trying to recreate and bring into my life, but I'm full of the spirit of God and I already know how to respond to you. I already know how 
how to respond to this attack. I already know what God's will is in this situation. I already know what I must do. And when I hear, I am able to judge because I have the word of God, which is alive and sharper than a two-edged sword. It is in me and ready to do the work that God wants us to do. Man, it's time for you to stop waffling at the will of God. It's time for you to stop saying, oh, I don't know what to do. Oh, this is so hard. Oh, this is so difficult. Oh, I don't know if this will work or no. Oh, I don't know. Hey, the devil knows that he's got you right where he wants you when you start waffling at the will of God. Listen, throw down the waffles and square your shoulders and say, I know in whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. I really thought you'd get more excited about that than you have. I'm telling you, the devil has nothing on you. The devil has nothing. The only thing that the devil can do to you is what you allow him to do. But when you have the power of God living within you, when he comes at you, uh, you can stand toe-to-toe with him because you know how to judge the situation according to the word of God and the power of God. Amen. 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 So I don't know about that, Pastor. I don't always know what to do. Well, have you asked God? Have you asked him for wisdom? Have you asked him for knowledge and understanding? Have you asked him? Because here's what the word says about that in James 1, 5 through 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. For he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So many of us, we've just passed over the wisdom of God. And we have allowed it to cause us to be an unstable man. An unstable woman. I don't know how to respond. I don't know how to act. I don't know what to do. Why? The Word tells you what to do. The Word tells you how to act. The Word tells you what actions that you should take. The Spirit of God is alive within you and can teach you all things. The Spirit of God can show you what you need to do and what you need to say and how you need to respond. Why don't you know what to do? God has revealed himself and his word and his will to us if we'll just receive it. Amen. Number five. His glory is revealed in his tender mercy. Aren't you glad that God loves us so much that he involves himself in our lives and the little things that really don't amount to a whole lot? You know, for the first time ever in reading this, it dawned on me that he was sympathetic to these people when the miracle that they needed was a nonsensical miracle. Nobody was dying. Nobody was sick and needed to be healed. Nobody was going bankrupt and needed money. You know what the problem was? They needed wine. What a terrible thing. We ran out of wine. 
We wouldn't even need Jesus these days. We've got so many package stores and liquor stores and grocery stores. We, we run out of wine. We can just go get some. I'm having a bad day. I need my wine. Oh, God, I got to have a glass of wine or I'm going to die. Listen, you know me. I don't get off on stuff like that. But let me just tell you, your wine can't do anything for you that Jesus can't do for you. And it would be better for you to cry out for Jesus than for you to cry out for another glass of wine. Amen. They were just out of, that was free. That, I didn't write that in my notes or anything. It just came to me. Listen, it was a nonsensical thing. I just, we're out of wine. Nobody's dying. Nobody's sick. Nobody's broke. Nobody's depressed. Nobody's frustrated. We just need wine. And Jesus provided what must have seemed like a nonsensical need in their lives. Have you ever had something in your life that it really was not a matter of life and death? It really was not going to make you or break you. It wasn't going to be a big thing. It was just a little something. Sometimes it's just a hug. Somebody just came by and gave you a hug when you needed a hug. Maybe somebody sent you a text and, and it was at the right time. Maybe, maybe it was just a, an email that came. Maybe it was just something that developed and you weren't expecting it. You didn't ask for it really. It was just one of these small little insignificant things. And Jesus cared enough to send you an answer. Listen, I want you to know, and we learn from this miracle, that Jesus loves you so much that he is concerned with your big stuff and your middle-of-the-road stuff and your little stuff. He loves you, and he cares about you, and he's experienced everything that you are currently experiencing, and he knows how to fix it. Fix it, Jesus, fix it. He can do it. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect, say every respect, has been tempted as we are yet without sin. That means Jesus has been through everything you'll ever go through. Every kind of temptation that will ever come against you, Jesus has already been there and Jesus has already overcome. And if he has overcome and he has put his spirit in you, guess what? You are an overcomer. I was looking on Facebook yesterday and I was watching Corey bowl. He was, I don't know if you saw the video or not, but he was bowling and he was doing a good job. And then he was shooting baskets and they were going in. And a little bit later in the video, they gave him a red shirt, bright red. And on it, it says, overcome. And I thought to myself, hallelujah, I've got some people in this church right now that need to wear that shirt every day of their lives because you're on the verge of giving up. You've come to the place where you've decided that God may not be everything that you'd hoped he'd be for you. That church is not everything that you'd hoped it would be for you. But let me tell you, when you're on the verge of giving up, you are on 
the brink of your miracle. Don't give up, but keep moving in the right direction. Overcome. Six, his glory is revealed in his authority. Somebody made this quote. I don't know who said it, but I liked it. He was referring to how this water transformed into wine. And he made this statement. He said, the conscious water saw the Lord and blushed. Isn't that good? This water that could could never be wine suddenly heard the voice of its creator and blushed to this beautiful red wine that Jesus created. Listen, it's time for us to hear the voice of the Lord and to become what he wants us to become. Jesus caused this miracle to happen by his words. He spoke it into existence. Now, I'm not on some weird old binge where we start calling everything into existence and saying things that, you know, I was thinking about it this week. Lord, I want, I want you to help us do this and help us to do that. But I also understand that with everything in life, there's a process that comes with it. And sometimes we want magic instead of a divine miracle. God's not in the magic. But if you want a divine miracle, he'll do it in your life. It just may take some time. Somebody say amen. But we've got to begin to speak the word of the Lord. Now, I'm, I'm going to say something. I, I, it doesn't come out of a mean spirit or a foul spirit. But listen, if you're going to speak it, you better be, be, be prepared to do it. If you're going to speak it, you need to be prepared to do it. And if you're not going to do it, then shut up. There, I said it. If you're not going to do what the Word of God tells you to do in a given situation, stop talking about it. Because the only thing you're doing is telling everybody around you that you're double-minded and you're incapable of taking God at His Word. But listen, the good news is, if you will believe with just a grain of mustard seed, what you say can take place in your life through the power of God. You say, I don't believe that. Well, Matthew 17 says, he said to them, because of your little faith, you don't have this. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Luke said it like this in chapter 17, verse 16. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would open obey you. John said it like this in chapter 14, verses 12 through 14. Truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these shall he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Do you realize how powerful you are today, church? Do you, do you realize what an overcomer that you are? Do you realize that the devil has put you in a position where you've stopped believing 
I want you to know today that God's calling you back to a place of faith. God wants you to believe. Can I just be honest with you? I came here eight years ago and some of you were men and women of faith. Some of you were involved in ministry. Some of you were doing things to expand the kingdom of God. But life got a little bit tough. And life got a little bit difficult. And then you stopped coming. And then you stopped moving in the spirit. And then you gave up the ministry that you felt called to. And now you just sit on the seat every few weeks and every little bit when you feel like you want to come. I'm talking to you today. We can't do here what God has called us to do with you. God has put a calling upon your life. And the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. If he has placed it in your life to do, he wants you to rise up and be the man or the woman of God that he has called you to be. Come on, get your faith back. Come on, get your energy back. Get your passion back. Get your victory back. Get your mentality back that says I am more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. I'm not going to sit home and lay in the bed and watch TV all night. I'm not going to sit at home and allow anxiety from keeping me from being who God's called me to be. You stand up. You get your faith back. You put the devil on notice and say, I'm just telling you right now, you've not defeated me. You don't have me down. I'm not discouraged. I am more in Christ Jesus than I could ever be without him. And I'm coming back. I'm making a comeback. I'm rising again like the phoenix bird that was in the ashes. I'm rising again. I'm spreading my wings. I'm going to fulfill the call of God upon my life. I'm not being mean to you today. I'm just telling you that you can have all the success of the world. But if you don't have the success of the Spirit, one of these days you're going to stand before the Lord and hear him, him say, I, you know, I depart from me, I never knew you. Didn't I do this in your name? And didn't I do that in your name? And I did not do this. And didn't I do that? And then I go here. And then I go there. And he's going to say, you were just a worker of iniquity. You're going to have to depart from me because I never knew you. You were doing all the religious stuff and churchy stuff, but you weren't walking in my spirit. But listen, there's another answer that I'm listening for. It's an answer that I'm going to hear one of these days. Because it doesn't matter how great the ministry, how small the ministry, how well known we are. It's all about faithfulness. It's all about remaining in integrity. It's all about staying in character. It's about being where God wants you to be. And no matter how big or how small it is, when you get to the other side and walk into the heavenlies, he's going to put his hand out and draw you close and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. Now I'm inviting you in and you'll be a ruler over many. Oh, hallelujah. One other thing. Come help me quit if you will. For those of you who are watching your watches, it's 10 till. His glory was revealed as his kingdom expanded. That's the last thing. Verse 11. After Jesus did what Jesus did, the scripture says his disciples believed him. They looked at what Jesus had done and they said, can you believe that? 
This is amazing. I've never seen anyone take simple water and turn it immediately into wine. Can you believe? If he can do something like that, there's no limit to what God can do. Jensen Franklin preached one of the most powerful sermons I've heard in a long time. He just basically simply circled around this one thought. Are you open? Are you open to letting God be God in your life? Are you open to letting God do what God wants to do? Ever since I've been here, I've, I've wrestled with this tension between two groups of people in this church. It hasn't been divisive. But on the one hand, we have a group that say, thank God we're going back to where we were years ago. And the other tension is, when will we get back to running a thousand? Can I just tell you that I don't have the answer to that? I have no desire to go back to Egypt and eat leeks. I can tell you that right now. And if that's what you're waiting on from me, you don't need to wait any longer. I'm not planning to go backwards when everything that this scripture tells us to do is to go forward. We cannot reach a contemporary world in a traditional old time way. We will not compromise scripture, but we cannot do things the way that we used to do them. And the, for those of you who are hoping that we have a thousand, look around you. We've got plenty of seats. Let's shoot for 250, 300 yet first. Let's get there first. Let's see what God's going to do. Let's fill these seats up. Don't say, well, Pastor, I must not be doing a very good job because people aren't coming. Well, why don't you do something about it? I'm not being mean. Why don't you invite some people? Why don't you call some of your family members? I can call their names right now. I text them on Saturday nights and invite them to come to church. Why don't you do it? I'm not being mean. I'm just saying we're in this thing together. But it's not about big. This came to me. Let's not limit God to big. Let's release him to excellent. I just think I'm going to shout a minute. Everything in the United States of America has to be big. We got to have bigger cars and bigger houses and bigger bank accounts. We got to have more well-known preachers. They got to be fancy. They got to do all the cool stuff. They got to have all the right hairdos. They have to wear the right clothes. Everything's got to be big. Everything's about big. Not everything is about big. Sometimes big can be horrible. Many times excellent is better than big. God hadn't called us to do what Southeast does. God hasn't called us to have 30,000 people on a Sunday morning. Can you imagine what it would be like for Kim Utey to have to stand back there at that door and keep it open while 30,000 people came into this building? Can you imagine? God didn't call us to do that. 
Some of you are leaving me right now in your mind. Come back to me, baby. I'm not done yet. God hasn't called us at this point to have multiple campuses like, like some of the churches do in town. I'm proud for them. I'm glad for them. God has called them to do that. God has equipped them to, God, to do that. I'm not talking bad about them. I'm just saying that if we're trying to have 30,000 people here next week, it ain't going to happen. And if we're called to open multiple campuses around the city by the end of the year, it ain't going to happen. But there are some things that God has for us to do that we are equipped to do and that we can do. And let's start there. And let's stop worrying about big and let's start talking about excellent. Let me tell you, I'd rather see your sons and daughters come to Christ than I would have 30,000 people next week. I'd rather see your kids get delivered from drugs and alcohol and pornography than I would to have multiple campuses all over this city. If God decides to give big, this pastor will say, pour it on us, Lord. I also know that if he decides to give us big, he's going to give us big-minded people with big-minded Ability and big-minded dreaming and big-minded money and big-minded resources and big-minded calling. And if that's what he has for us, I'm open. I'm like Jensen. I'm open. God, whatever it is that you want for us, I'm open. But God, I'm also open to being faithful in this season of our life and our journey right now and allow you to be released to work excellence in our lives instead of big. Somebody said, don't you know that everything healthy grows? That is a lie from the pits of hell. And it's coming from pulpits all over this nation. It is not true that everything that is healthy grows. Look at me. I am 59 years old. I'm healthy. But thank God I'm not still growing. I'm six foot four and I'm closing in on six foot three. That'll hit some of you this afternoon when you get home. I'm not going to tell you how much I weigh, but there's a time when I was a whole lot bigger than I am now, and when I was a whole lot bigger, I was a whole lot unhealthier than I am today. What am I trying to say to you? Big is not always better. And what is healthy does not always grow. What is healthy finds that place where God has ordained them to be and they maximize the moment there. I don't know how you are and I'm about to quit. I promise. We're going to have communion in just a minute. It doesn't matter how much I eat or how much I don't eat. My body seems to find a zone that I live in. 
Now, that may not be true for you. It doesn't matter if I'm dieting. I've tried that keto garbage until I'm sick of it. I used to love bacon. I don't even want to look at it anymore. I've eaten so many eggs, I think I could start laying them. (laughs) Hate it. But you know what I've learned? If I will just be sensible, my body has a zone that it goes to. And I can step on on the scale, and if it's going up, I can know that I ought to have maybe less of this and less of that and I'll come back to that zone I very rarely get out of that zone can I tell you that God has a zone for you God has a place where he has gifted you and anointed you to be and if you'll find your way to that zone God will do things in you that you never dreamed was possible stop talking about big and start talking about excellent Stop talking about the way it used to be. I don't want to go back to the way it used to be. I like my microwave. I like cruise control. I like my car in a modern form. I don't want to go back to cranking again. Never. If you guys want to crank, get out in the foyer and crank. And I'm not cranking. When God has given us an electronic start, I'm not doing it. And for those of you who have some vision in your head that you think we're supposed to get to, why don't you just let God reveal the vision? Why don't you just let God do what God wants to do in this situation? If we're all being faithful, if all, we're all doing what God has called us to be and to do, then we will be successful in the calling that he has for us. There are things going on around here that you may not even see. We're getting ready to start a school that was in the vision years and years ago, and it's coming to pass this week. Who did it? God did it. God's doing it. We're going to teach those little kids about Jesus. Yeah, they're going to know about math and reading and science. But when they go home at the end of the day, they're going to know that Jesus loves them this they know for the Bible and the teachers at Spirit Life Christian Academy have shared with them the love of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, God is doing a great thing in our midst. Whatever he wants to do. As Jensen said, I'm open. Are you open today? Stand with me today.